Hey everybody, Jason here. Just want to say, during the show, we mentioned an interview with recently deceased comic book artist Neil Adams and Kevin Smith. And there's a link in the show notes. Go check that interview out. Yes, it's long. I'm at two and a half hours through it right now. It's a compilation of interviews. But I got to tell you, the first two and a half hours, you don't have to really have any comic book knowledge to to enjoy what he's talking about. Neil Adams talked about growing up and you know, fighting racism in the industry and fighting for creators' rights and just amazing, amazing stuff. Great stories. And you owe it to yourself to go listen to that interview. It is amazing. Like I say, link in the show notes and yeah, and enjoy my show. What pops up a beer or a cold libation? I can tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said I'll start up with some talking and some movie clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundness exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I let the box come on, contest, and of course you know it's all about games. That's a slowdown, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today I've got a fun show for you. I'm going to do a long overdue update on the Reaver campaign. Reaver is the upcoming sword and sorcery RPG from Raven Guy Games, and I'm lucky enough to be part of the playtest. And it's been a while since I've talked about that game, so I want to give you an update. In addition to that, I've got some listener calls, primarily about why fantasy RPGs are more popular than science fiction RPGs, although we also talk some about the Marvel playtest. So before we get to the calls, I'm going to do that Reaver recap, but before I do that, I want to plug my May contest. I'm running a contest in the month of May. All I'm asking you to do is let me know which Nicolas Cage movie you think would be good to adapt into an RPG module or adventure. I, I'm, I'm curious about what the movie is and why you think it would make a good RPG adventure. It could be for any system you want. doesn't matter. If you want to name a system, great. If you don't want to name a system, that's fine too. You can enter the contest by sending a message here to me using the Anchor app. If you go to the Anchor website for this show, you can leave a message there. You can send an email to nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. If you attach an audio file to that, I'll play it on the air and make you famous. You can also reach out to me on a variety of discords. Entries are due by the 25th of May, 2022. And once I get all the entries, I will put all the names in a hat. I will draw a name out randomly, and that will be the winner. That winner will get a $20 drive-thru RPG gift certificate, good anywhere in the world. And they will also I will also donate $20 to a local... Tri- well... They can choose, to some degree, the charity that I donate that $20 to, be a food bank or, say, a children's hospital or a you know, cancer research of some sort. There's always the default Forgotten Angels down in Florida, which is a charity that helps foster kids that have aged out of the system that were unfortunate enough to be in bad foster homes, and Forgotten Angels teaches them the life skills they need to be a good members of society. 
but you know, preferably I'd like to send it to a local food bank or a children's hospital or church, something like cancer research, Alzheimer's research, something like that. Anyhow, we'll sort that out. But give me your entries in. I'm looking forward to hearing what you th- which Nick Cage movie you think would be a great RPG adventure. When I do the award show, I will play all the entries that I've received and any entries that I receive in text form, I will read out loud. So all entries will be you know, played or read on the award show and there really are no winners. They're all winners. We're just randomly picking one to so I can give some money to a charity and give somebody a drive-through RPG gift certificate. So with that announcement out of the way, the other thing I want to mention really quickly before we get to the Reaver recap is that the long-forgotten Cyberpunk 2020 campaign I started last year is going to pick back up here in a couple weeks. Really excited about that. The One of the characters, the rocker boy played by Joe over at Hindsightless, had been targeted. It seems like somebody's trying to kill him, and there's a heinous serial killer running around the streets of Night City, and there's all kinds of intrigue going on, and the characters have a lead that they're going to follow up on, so it it should be exciting. We're looking forward to picking that campaign up, so I'll give a recap of where we're at after the second session. I'll give a recap of last year's session and, you know, the second session. So, Look forward to that. Cyberpunk 2020, my preferred cyberpunk system, is going to get back to the table. Glorious days. Okay, let's talk about Reaver. As I've said, Reaver is a sword and sorcery RPG. It is not on the market yet. We're playtesting it. It's going to be sold by Raven Guy Games. It's the brainchild of Joe Salvador. Joe Salvador is jamming this playtest, which is great. The players in this playtest are myself... I'm playing a, a thief or a rogue called Brutus the Bald. He's more of a thug or a tough. He's not a real stealthy thief. He's more of a, you know, a strong arm who extorts money from people, that kind of thing. Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast is playing Asgold the Lame, who's a shaman. A player who doesn't have a podcast, so I'm not going to mention his name. He is playing Laszlo, who is a fighter type. He used to be a caravan guard and figured he could make more money and do better on his own. So he struck off on his own as an adventurer. And then we have Joe Richter has just joined the game. And Joe Richter's character is very interesting. His name is Wolfgar and he appears to be some kind of witch hunter. I do not know exactly what class Joe is playing. I'm hoping that Joe will talk about his character more on his podcast. So I'm looking forward to hearing his recap of this session, and him talking about his character. But at the moment, his character is kind of a mystery to the rest of us. So those are the four PCs. We also have an NPC that's traveling with our party, Cato, who's another thief. He's more of a safecracker. Um, and when the game started, we started in my character's home city of Draxium. But Draxium became under siege, and it was under siege by a warlord and... So an evil group of mages who also, this evil group of mages was involved in the destruction of Wolfgar, Joe Richter's town, and which is why Joe Richter's character ended up linking up with us later on. So we fled to Axiom, and we ended up finally 
down here in Redstone. And Redstone is where Carl's character, Asgold, is from. On the way, we stopped in Sabatum, which is Laszlo's home, and we did some cool things, and he was awarded some land and became landed, which is going to be important because the Baron over there in Sabatum is in some political intrigue. He's pretty young, and he's in some political intrigue that we're trying to help out with. So, But right now we're down in Redstone, and Redstone's a mining area, and Redstone is going to stay strong, and it, there was some question whether they were going to stick with the Baron or not, but they are going to stick with the Baron against this new ruler who overtook the city of Draxium. And in Redstone, we, we killed a big boar called Rudabringi, and it was this it was this boar that got corrupted by some kind of chaos magic and grew to a giant size. And we ended up killing that. So we're heroes in the city and we have a lot of weight in the city. There's another area nearby that is called Rostock. And Rostock wanted to betray the Baron and go with this new usurper over in Duraxium. And we found out in this adventure, we met a character called Ruthless. And Ruthless used to be an important person in Rostock, but when this usurper over in Duraxium started sending his spies into Rostock, Ruthless w was taking them out. He saw them for the evil, you know, equivalents of worm tongue that they were. But they, despite his efforts, they got to the ruler in there, and they turned again. So he was outlawed from his own city, and so he's living as an outlaw now. Well, he showed up and wanted an audience with the chieftain there in Redstone. And we facilitated that, and there were other emissaries from Rostock, the bad guys, were in, this, in Redstone as well. So we had some political intrigue, but we didn't have any combat this session, but we got ruthless talking to the chieftain's son, actually. And they came to an agreement, and they ended up throwing these other emissaries from Rostock in jail at the end of the session. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. But our characters are actually going to be going to the Valley of the Mists. And the Valley of the Mists are where these ancient artifacts, whether they're magical or technological, I'm not sure. But these ancient artifacts that the sorcerers are after are in the Valley of the Mists. They're these rocks or orbs. And we are due to dreams that our shaman has seen and just other reasons, we're going to be headed to the Valley of the Mists to look for more of these to help combat the evil coming out of Draxium. So that's going to be interesting, and next session we're going to be headed to the Valley of the Mists, so that ought to be a, a neat you know, exploration as we get down there, as we travel there, and, and we see what kind of horrors we find you, you know, in this, this area that man is not meant to visit. So it ought to be a lot of fun so far. The game has been really cinematic. The combat has been really true to the stories. I, I, I just said cinematic, but it feels, you know, just like your pulpy sword and sorcery novels and to some degree like Conan, the Barbarian, the movie and things like that. It, your characters definitely can fail and you can die, but you have a, a meta currency called Resolve you can use to do things like re-rolls or to add damage to a, to a strike or something like that. So you can pull off those heroic moments that you read about in Sword and Sorcery. But you, you're limited how much resolve you can use. And the characters can easily be overcome if they don't play smart. 
So it, it'll be interesting. It's kind of a mix between a traditional OSR structure and some newer ideas. There's some Savage Worlds in there and some other things kind of mixed in there. And I think Joe's really got his thumb on it. Joe Salvador is really smart on, he's very well read in Sword and Sorcery and other things. And he's created a really deep, rich culture and setting here that I'm not doing a good job explaining, you know, in this mini recap. But it's been a lot of fun and I'm very fortunate to be able to be in this playtest. So I look forward to giving future reports as we go. And hopefully both Carl Rodriguez and Joe Richter give their own perspectives of this latest session. But with that quick recap over, I've got some calls we need to get to. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason. It's Joe. I uh, just wanted to reach out. Um, you mentioned that uh, comic legend Neil Adams passed. Uh, I thought you and the, the listeners would want to know, um, if you don't, uh, that uh, Neil Adams was uh, interviewed by Kevin Smith on the old show, Fat Man on Batman, uh, episodes 54 through 56. Uh, it's a good uh, good discussion. I, I listened to it way back in the day when it was new. Um, it looks like it might be, be behind uh, a paywall now, uh, so maybe you have to be a Spotify subscriber to hear it. Uh, but I'm sure it's available online somewhere. Um, yeah, just thought I'd, I'd let you guys know that. All right, later. Joe, thank you for that call. Really appreciate it, folks. I hope you can find a copy of that interview to listen to. Sounds like a great one. Hey, everybody. I'm breaking in here to say that Joe has reached back out to me and sent me a link to this podcast with the interview of Kevin Smith and Neil Adams. What Kevin Smith has done since Neil Adams has passed is he took all the old interviews he did with him and put them together one big podcast. It's six hours of interviews with Kevin Smith and Neil Adams. So, I mean, it's it's a gold mine. It's not behind a paywall. There's a link in the show notes. Check that out if you're a comic book fan or just want to hear an interesting person in an interview. I, I think it's well worth your time. Okay, back to the show. We have another call from Joe, which kind of is, you know, just singing my praises, and I don't normally like to play these kind of things, but... I, I do have an obligation to play the calls that are sent to me, so out of obligation my listeners, I'll begrudgingly play it. And Amy is absolutely correct. You are a ray of sunshine, my friend, and uh, <laughs> I always enjoy uh, hanging with you and a game with you, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you for those kind words, Joe. And folks, if you ever get a chance to play alongside Joe Salvador, or even better, get in a game that Joe is GMing, hop on it. He is a great GM, and he's a great player. I always love when I get to game with Joe. Good times. As are the times I get to play with the next caller, Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents. I disagree with Joe on... Quick note, folks. Carl is talking about Joe Richter of the Hindsightless Show, not 
Joe Salvador of Raven Guy Games, who we just heard of. So Carl's disagreeing with Joe Richter in this call. The perceived greed of having a beta test go out there. I think they, when I went to Dragon's Lair the other day to just to browse and to pick up my, my subs. I can't help but to cut into Carl's call and say that a gaming store that also sells hoagies and grinders. Man, when I visited San Antonio, you didn't take me there, Carl. That definitely has to be part of our food tour. Okay, back to Carl's call. Um, they're marketing the Marvel playtest as, as a more less as an RPG and more of a comic book. There are even variant covers that you know the the store can get to get their little bonuses and procs. So they had three variant covers of this again, much like a comic book. And I think they're just trying to develop hype for it. And this is what they have out there. I think the playtest is almost they want to develop hype, but why char- why give you something that you can mess around with instead of just advertisement. So in a way, it's like an advertisement. And sure, you pay for it, but I think they're making it kind of like a collectible, which is interesting. And then you could talk about corporate greed and all that. But I didn't mind buying it. It wasn't that much. Right. So I think for Joe... Again, Joe Richter. Talking about how 4th edition and the um, the different classes sounding like they're from 4th edition. In fact... I feel like they're more like from MMO, right? You go back a step or two into MMOs, and I remember playing, oh man, what's the name of that? There was an MMO where you could play, I don't, it wasn't Champions, it was uh, something City, uh, Champion City, Hero City, maybe it was Hero City, and you played a, that was like one of the most awesome MMOs, and you could fly around, you could make strikers, blasters, defenders, whatever. Um, it was hella fun. I had a, tune named gigaton who eventually got like stealth powers and would stealth into a bunch of these uh, these nazis and blow the blow them all up with his uh, no, supernova so uh, i think that was fun city of heroes that's what it's called city of heroes and that's where all these terms come from i think hey this is another message for joe richter that jason said to call in about since i sent him a pm so joe richter be careful about stones and glass houses. I do recall regarding playtest documents and having to pay for a beta version that Pathfinder 2 also had us purchase uh, several. You had you could purchase and you did purchase several uh, playtest documents uh, from them before they released Pathfinder 2. So um, yeah, there's a whole collection that, of adventures that I have. And I guess for me, I don't mind buying the playtest document if it's good production value and it has something cool and unique and it's fun to do and you get to, you know, feedback or give feedback and that's what we're doing with the Marvel thing. So, uh, but, uh, you know, he who casts the first stone, beware. I'm going to let Joe answer Carl's calls that are directed exactly at him, but I will say that I think I would, even though I did pay for the Marvel playtest, I think it probably would have been a classier move to have some way for that playtest to be credit towards the final product when it's offered. But they're not the first company to do a paid playtest, and they're not going to be the last. So, I I mean, it just kind of is what it is, right? Speaking of the Marvel playtest, though, I'm going to direct you to the latest episode of Cerebrivore, the panel podcast that... I am lucky enough to do with a few other podcasters. 
in the latest episode that dropped today, Friday, May 6th, we generate characters in the playtest. So Carl makes a character based on the movie version of the Swamp Thing. I make Rom Space Knight and BJ of the Arcane Alienist creates a character that, I don't know, seems kind of Punisher-esque. And then we do a mock combat, well, it's not a mock combat, it's a combat between the Black Panther and Captain America to see how those two rank 15 characters stack up against each other. There's a link in the show notes. You could also watch it on YouTube, although there's no video at YouTube. It's just this, it's Ray Otis's wonderful Cerebrivore art, but you know, you don't get to see my shining face there, which is good for you and your sanity roll. As far as what Joe thinks, though, Joe has not heard those calls yet, so we'll have to wait. Joe Richter has not heard those calls yet, so we'll have to wait for him to call in on them specifically. But he has called his own opinions in. So I'm going to turn it over to Joe Richter of Hindsightless. Yo, Jason, so you said we'd save the progression talk for another day so you can play this message on that day. Anyway, man, you're talking about comic book games and how if you're playing these set characters, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, you don't need progression and you don't need to, you know, give them new powers to tell interesting stories, except there are innumerable stories throughout the decades of those characters all getting new powers those characters are all way more powerful than they were when they were first invented man so i feel like progression is sort of baked into comic book games uh and then to kind of echo what brian from have to look that up said in a message he left you yeah as far as tsr marvel goes back in the day when i was playing that with my friends we pretty much only played as our original characters i can't remember any games where we would play like as the avengers or anything but that was just us man anyway good stuff peace out joe i can't deny that in many cases but a lot of times that power creep is just due to the plot and the power levels of characters really vary depending on the writer and the mood at the time you know as wolverine became more popular he became more powerful right and batman really varies when he's with the justice league or other adventurers he tends to be a lot more capable than when he's in his own book. In his own book, he can fail and make mistakes, but he's one. He's with other characters. He's got to be, you know, the perfect planner. Um, so I, I do think that goes up and down depending on the writer and the needs, the plot of the comic book to some degree. And, and I think if you're playing a year, me personally, I don't care about progression, so it doesn't matter for me. I can understand where some players, if they're playing a long game, would want progression. But again, to me, comic book games are more, we're going to play the existing characters and we're going to play short adventures with them. So it's more of a pickup game kind of thing. So I don't have a problem with it. But I can see where people would want to play longer term games. And if Carl ever gets around to running Necessary Evil, like we've talked about, then obviously that would be a longer term campaign. And because it's Savage Worlds, we would have some character progression. And I would not complain about that one bit. But speaking of complaining, Joe Richter has a complaint about me. So I am going to air that now in a tiny segment that I'm going to let Michelle Dockery read the title to. There's fuckery afoot. 
yo, man, so you did it once. I was going to let it slide, but then you did it twice, so I got to call in, dude. What I say is that everything is fantasy. You keep saying that I say everything is sci-fi. That is literally the opposite, but I am glad you pay attention to the things that I say. <laughs> anyway, man, you're talking about how D&D permeated the zeitgeist because of things like community and Big Bang Theory and Stranger Things. Yeah, that's true, but those things are all kind of modern. So, like, in the 80s... Um, D&D was still fresh and new. Not everybody knew what every monster was back then. And yet people were still playing more fantasy games. So I don't know if it's like the fact that the fantasy tropes are more established. I don't know what it is, man. Anyway, peace out. Hey, Joe, I apologize for misrepresenting your words. That was not my intent. I should have gone back and listened to your episode instead of going off memory. I thought I was more clear at the beginning of that part in that I wasn't sure what you said, but when I went back and re-listened, it wasn't very clear. So, folks, I apologize for misrepresenting Joe's words. Again, not my intent and 100% my fault. As far as the zeitgeist goes, I mean, we have D&D and E.T. and D&D and Cloak and Dagger. I mean, you don't get any bigger than, well, you don't get any bigger than E.T., and Cloak and Dagger is a movie that everybody should go see, even if they haven't seen it. So D&D was out there, and it was in big movies. There's no question about that. But it definitely was not to the point. And the other thing about D&D was, it was in the zeitgeist because of the Satanic Panic. So even the people who didn't play it had heard of it because of the private eye that did the investigation into the death that was the, made into the Tom Hanks movie right? Mazes and Monsters. I, I'm not going to look up that privatized name right now. but So I think D&D was pretty well known because of that, although people didn't know the game mechanics. So just because people had heard the name D&D doesn't mean they understood what a kobold was in D&D. So I'll give you that. Um, but I think Tolkien was pretty big out there, right? I mean, you know, don't you remember Frodo lives in the subways and stuff like that? Come on. Okay, that might predate both of us a little bit. But it was on TV. I remember watching. When did they play it? Did they play it on Easter? Or they played it once a year for a while there. They they were playing the Ralph Baskey stuff and the um, Rankin and Bass. Well, not the Ralph Baskey, but they were playing the Rankin and Bass stuff. Um, so so I think it was out there and known, right? Tolkien was at least. So if nothing else, we have that touchstone for fantasy. But yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I don't have a good answer why fantasies more popular in role-playing games than science fiction is. Um, BJ has some thoughts on that, though, here at the end of the show. But before we get into BJ's thoughts, we're going to go to some thoughts from Spencer, also known as Free Thrall, from Keep Off the Borderland. So I'm going to turn the mic over now to the man that Anchor hates. Hey, Jason, Spencer here. You know, I think John's onto something with this good versus evil thing. Um, If you think about the roots of fantasy coming from mythology and uh, folklore and uh, fairy tale. You've got that whole, you know, you've got good versus evil. You've got the hero's journey and you've got archetypal characters and archetypal stories too. And I think that's why you there's this sense of a collective idea of what constitutes fantasy, you know? Um, 
in contrast to that, if you think about sci-fi, particularly hard sci-fi, um, what you're looking at there is more modern ideas um, and people exploring those, considering the implications of more modern thought and kind of extrapolating out into the future, which can obviously lead in all kinds of different directions and uh, result in all weird and wonderful worlds and universes. And I think that's a that's why sci-fi is perhaps a little more difficult to pin down. Um, yeah, just just my thoughts. And uh, well, there you go. Thanks very much for the episode. Take care. Spencer, thank you so much for those thoughts. I really appreciate your chiming in. When, when I mentioned before his calls that Spencer was hated by Anchor, it's because he lives in Scotland. And apparently in Scotland, in the Anchor app, they've removed the ability to favorite podcasts and to call in messages through the app. So because they want you to use Spotify instead. So Spencer has to go to his computer to call messages in. And I appreciate that that's a hassle. So I always love it when I get a message from Spencer because I know he has to go an extra step to leave me a message. Thank you very much, sir. But that will change nothing. She is my woman. Before, now, always. Nothing is for always. Except death. As Fierro. Ask Francisco. Ask those in the cemetery of nameless men. They died for what they believed. The revolution? When the shooting stops and the dead are buried and the politicians take over, it all adds up to one thing, a lost cause. That exchange between Raza and Dulworth was set in our past, at least our fictional past, but not a long long time ago as the Star Wars universe is set. But you have to wonder, do the rebels have the same conversations? Because once they do overthrow the Empire, will the corrupt government that gets put in place with its corrupt politicians, will it just turn around and cause the same problems to happen yet again? Is it an endless cycle? I don't know the answer to these questions. But the next man up does know something about Star Wars. We have a call from BJ of the Arcane Alienist podcast. Take it away, BJ. Hey, Jason, it's BJ. Just finished the uh, Star Wars Day episodes. May, may, may the 4th be with you as well. Um, uh, in terms of running um, sci-fi games, I can offer, well, a couple things. I, I can't remember which game designer said this. I, I know it's one who's, it's, I've drawn a blank on who it was. But they had said, don't give the party a ship unless you want to run a game about people running a ship. And I think that may factor into some people's hesitancy to run a sci-fi game. It adds a whole other level of resource management. And I'm talking about it from the Game Master perspective of resource management where, you know, particularly modern D&D doesn't really get into domain play. So you're just going to be doing dungeon crawls and, and hex crawls and, you know, fighting bad guys and, and things like that. Um, they don't have a ship or a castle or anything to manage unless you just set up a campaign to give them one. 
But I think when we think of sci-fi, we usually think of space, adventures in space. I know that's not, I know sci-fi encompasses a lot more than that because it can have cyberpunk and planetary adventures and things like that. But most people assume, I think when we think of sci-fi, we think getting into a spaceship and exploring space or going to different worlds and space battles. And it, and it adds another level of, like I said, of, of, of resource management and typically another set of mechanics to handle you know, shipboard mishaps and ship-to-ship combat and things like that, and so it's just a more complicated game to run, which is which is why I think um, uh, I think one of the callers had said uh, one of the things with space is that um, is that that it's it's about what's the DM, is is it that people don't want to play sci-fi or is it that the most DMs aren't offering sci-fi, and so I'm thinking from a DM's perspective why DMs may be more apt to run. To, to run fantasy than as opposed to sci-fi because of that, because because you get more fiddly mechanics when you get into a sci-fi based game. Assuming, assuming particularly if you're going to be dealing with ships or or just vehicles, you know, as opposed as to horses and wagons. Now you're dealing with, you know, sci-fi level, you know, if not spacecraft, aircraft, and tanks, and hovercraft, and and uh, things like that. So. So the added complexity. The other thing I, I would think about just from some of my experience is um, for some reason when you play a sci-fi game, it's a lot harder to set parameters. Pe- people get sci-fi and suddenly they're all Starfleet engineers and they want to know why they why, why they don't can't have this kind of device and that kind of device or how can my character build this kind of device or that kind of device. And sometimes when you play a sci-fi game, you still just want it to be a straightforward adventure. Like we got some plot hooks and we got some places to explore and... Um, let's just work within the the genre or subgenre or niche of sci-fi we've got, and let's let, let's have a <coughs> have an adventure. Um, you know, but people can kind of well, they want to spend all their time in a lab. You know, kind of improving on their laser pistol or their 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 proton bombs or or whatever the tech may be. And then, uh, you know, that's a fun game. I'm probably just as guilty of wanting to do that if I'm playing a sci-fi game, but. That may be another reason GMs don't want to get into that because they, they don't want to get into unless you've got some some good inborn crafting rules. Uh, but then again, that's like the ship. Ship, you've got another level of game, another area to manage, another mini game within the game to kind of account for, as opposed to just hey, let's get to it and, and kill some aliens and uh, and uh, shoot at some other starships. BJ, thank you for that, and I appreciate those thoughts and, and those considerations. I, I think those are definitely all things that we need to look at if we're going to run a sci-fi game, particularly uh, one in space or in a homebrew setting. I think that, it, well, even if we're not doing a homebrew setting, if we're running Star Wars, right? Say we're running Star Wars or Star Trek, there's still a ton of it, questions. What exactly is considered canon? What's available in the setting? What it, are we going to allow? What are we not going to allow? There's a lot to it, and the problem, of course, in a in a you know in a licensed setting is that there's usually a lot of fiction out there. There are novels for both Star Wars and Star Trek. There are all the movies. There's TV shows, and there's a lot. And the GM might not be an expert on all of it. So you you run into the problem of your players being more knowledgeable about your setting than you, the GM, are. So that's a tricky thing. Now, that could also happen with fantasy. If I was going to run a game set in Forgotten Realms, 
I almost guarantee the players would know more about Forgotten Realms than I would because I haven't read any of the novels and, you know, I'm just not up on that stuff. But I, I think sci-fi does bring some unique challenges. I think they can be solved. I think it's just an expectations thing. And that's why that session zero and that before the game discussion, more so even than session zero, is important. That initial dialogue when you're selling the game is to set those kind of parameters or at least start setting those kind of parameters. But I don't think, I don't know, I don't think it's the fact that GMs don't want to run it. Because, you know, Carl's been trying to get Traveler up for a long time. And he's having problems getting people to play. And there are, you know, other GMs you see advertising, hey, I want to run this game. Oftentimes it's Traveler. And just people don't seem interested. Or their schedules don't match up. So I don't know. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what the answer is. But I think everything you brought up there is 100% valid. And I think a science fiction game you know, especially one that's going to be with spaceships and going, you know, across galaxies or even in a solar system, wherever it is. But it, once you add that travel part to it, then you, you do have a lot of questions you need to be able to answer. And it takes a lot of forethought on the GM's part, unless they're doing it super loosey-goosey. Could it be run super loosey-goosey? Sure. But for most campaigns, you're going to have to think about a lot of these things before you before you pull the trigger on that campaign. So good call, BJ. Thank you very much for that. Thank you to all my callers. I really appreciate your taking the time to call my show. It makes it a better show. It really does. I also want to thank Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art, TJ Drennan for the wonderful music, and I want to thank you, the listener, for taking time out of your day to tune into my show. And I want to thank Colin over at Spike Pit in another segment of Is fuckery a foot? for not getting too angry at me for stealing that catchphrase from him. It wasn't intentional The you know, thank you for taking a minute out of your day. It's just I've listened to his shows enough that it's almost natural for me to repeat that. So I'm going to try to break that habit because that's not fair to him. Um, but, you know, understand that's not original on my part at all. I, I, I mean, I guess I could do an outro like, you know, love, peace, and chicken grease. But, you know, that's not original to me either. Anyhow, I'm going to let you all go, and I will catch you next time. Take care. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Maybe it's your auntie or a joke about your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some There is a dustman in your moilers by the tipper And I'm assuming that your partner back there in the wood chipper Don't look away, don't look away Don't look away, don't look away Well the zombies are rising and the world has gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck